every creeping thing and that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, all of the earth, and every tree with a seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And we have a second reading, which is uh, on chapter 3. Chapter 3 describes how we fell into sin, how our first parents fell into sin. And chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has, had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that a tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took, took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed a fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the tree of the garden. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So far. Let us prepare our heart by standing and singing Psalm 32.3. It's about our sin and misery. We start with the question answer 6. And it says, 
Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No. On the contrary, God created man good and in his image. That is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness, to praise him and glorify him. From where, then, did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in John Calvin's first book of Institute of Christian Religion, Calvin talks about the knowledge of God. He says something very interesting. He said, Knowing God is deeply connected with knowing man. In other words, if you know yourself, then you also know God. One type of knowledge leads to the other through revealing our darkness by the scripture. You may wonder what does it really mean by that? Well, it's like us staring at the sun. Imagine that on a bright afternoon in August, you're standing outside, facing the sun, and you see the sunlight coming down from above to all creatures, giving great amount of energy. And it is quite amazing to see how the sun keeps burning without, without burning itself out. But however, when you stare right at the sun, you instantly realize how fragile you are. Your eyes cannot bear the sunlight. You cannot stare at the sun even for the few seconds. And your weakness, that your weakness, teaches you that how strong the sun is. And it is the same with the knowledge of God. We know our God is powerful and infinite. When you, we are exposed to His glory, we discover how fragile we are right away. We see our weakness. God is so mighty. We see we are living in the darkness. God is light. We see that we are ignorant. God has infinite wisdom. We know this by reading the scripture. The law of God is like, a, like light. And our sins are like the dust that are being exposed to the bright light. It's like a bachelor who stays in his confined room has no idea how much piles of dust and coffee stains are there in his room. But when he opens the curtain, when the light shines through the window, all the coffee stains, biscuit crumbs, and thick layer of dust will appear in his sight. Then the bachelor realized the seriousness of the situation, saying, was I living in that kind of nasty room? In the same way, the law helps us to understand our miserable condition. Catechism begins with a similar way. The question answer two starts with the question, 
What do you need to know in order to live and die in this joy of discomfort? The answer follows. First, how great my sins and misery are. Then it triggers another question with a desperate curiosity. How do we know that our sin and misery? Well, how does the bachelor discover the big pile of dust in his room? It can be known by introducing light. That's where question answer 3, 4, and 5 comes up on the stage. The light here, as you know, is the law of God. Then the bachelor tries to clean his room. The coffee stain never goes away. Dust keeps piling despite of his constant effort. Bachelor cannot help but wonder where this all this come from. And I preach God's word faithfully, summarized by Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3, with the following theme and points. God teaches us where our sin and misery come from. And first point, they're not from our Creator. Second, from our first parent. Third, they are very severe. So the first point, our, fir- our sin and misery are not from the Creator. It is very interesting to observe how our first parents reacted to God when they first committed sin. And we need to pay attention what Adam said in Genesis 3 verse 12. He said, after he committed uh, the sin, he said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree. And look at how he addresses his wife. And indeed, it was the woman who gave the fruit. And it was the woman who, who got the fruit first. But the way that Adam was speaking was not applied at all. It was just not a mere, mere statement. It was more like an accusation. Here Adam was not only accusing the woman, but also accusing God. It is woman whom you gave to be with me. In other words, this is not my fault. God, you are the source of evil. If you had not given this woman to me, then these horrible things would not happen and I wouldn't feel any shame at all. Let us imagine that you have a son-in-law. I'm sure some of you do. And then your son-in-law comes to you and says, the daughter that you gave to be with me snores every night. Or the daughter that you let me marry doesn't know how to make a Dutch soup. If your son-in-law speaks that way, would you not be offended? Of course, how could you not possibly offend it? Would you not call him hypocrite, remembering all the sweet things that he said to earn your daughter? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The earthly father feels so terrible about it, and it is the same with God. In Genesis chapter 2, we see how Adam admires the beautiful work of God's creation. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here in Adam's confession, in chapter 2, he recognized the wonderful work of God with full appreciation. 
But just a few verses later, Adam suddenly changes his attitude and accuses God. Isn't this serious irony? The man who praised, praised God for the woman in chapter 2 now starts to make a false accusation in chapter 3. And this accusation is nonsense. It's like repaying good with evil. And do you remember that creation of woman was for the sake of man? God said it is not good for the woman should be alone. God created everything good and beneficial to man. But just look at what Adam and Eve is doing here. They're blaming the creation for their wrong doings. But the catechism is very clear on this matter. God created all things good. That includes men and women. Blaming your brothers and sisters means that you are blaming God who created them. That is also what the catechism captures in Lord's Day 3, question and answer 6. Did God that create man so wicked and perverse? No. Look how Adam described his wife in chapter 2. The creation was good. It was very good. You see, in Genesis 1, the repetitive word God saw that it was good confirms that creation was very good. The word, the word good appears seven times in chapter 1. And of course, this includes snakes too. It is unreasonable to think that snake alone is evil while every other creatures were good. And Jesus Christ once said, be wise as snakes. It's in Matthew 10, 16. If snake had evil nature, then why would Jesus Christ teach us to be like a snake? Therefore, we have to understand that all things, all creatures were created good. And this applies to not only to creatures, but everything, including our relationship with God. There was a strong bond of trust. The man had nothing to hide from God, nor from uh, his wife. That's why they were naked and were not shamed at all. And moreover, God created Adam according to his image, according to verse 26, after his likeness. In Genesis 1:26, when the triune God decided to make Adam in his image, God gave Adam a special task, and that is to take to have dominion over other creatures. In other words, stewardship was given. And it was of course a great privilege for Adam to be placed above all other creatures. Yet it was also his obligation to take a good care of all other creatures. Being a steward does not mean that you can butcher whatever you want. Being a steward means taking a good care of those things within the premises of God's law. Steward should honor the one who has given the stewardship. Steward must honor all the responsibilities by obeying the regulations. Being a steward does not mean that you can torture any animal that you want. Being a steward involves with honor, 
and respect. Now look at what Adam did to God in chapter 3. Chapter 3, Adam is trying to avoid, avoid blame by pointing his finger to his wife. His, of course, this behavior is not helpful in building a good relationship with your wife. But the woman is doing the same thing here. She's blaming a snake. And of course, you know that this is not responsible behavior. But for us, we shouldn't throw stones to Adam and Eve so quickly as if they're the only, only one to blame. We are actually like them. Before we blame to someone else, we should ask a question. Do we act like an image bearer of God? Do we act like, do we carry image bearer to our neighbors? Do we recognize others as image bearer of God? Do we act responsibly? In reality, we really don't. We fail. We, read, we rather tend to blame others just like Adam and Eve did. And I'm personally, I'm afraid that I'm personally guilty of that as of being a seminary student. I, whenever I face uh, some temptations every day, that is, whenever there happens to be a heavy critics on my sermon, my sinful nature tends to blame on someone else. Sometimes I would love to blame on commentaries or professors. And we as a sinful human always tend to point our fingers to anybody else while we so love to keep all those credits for ourselves. We always are good at looking for specks in the eyes of the others. In the same time, we fail to see the huge log in our eyes. It is very sad that we are not able to, to find anybody who lives like the true image bearer of God. But if you really want to know what it is like to be a true image bearer of God, then we can find some clues by looking at the scripture. The clue is in Hebrews 1, 3. Hebrews chapter 1, 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. In Colossians 1.15 it says, He, Jesus Christ, is the image of invisible God, the firstborn of the creation. It is clear, the perfect image bearer is Jesus Christ. And he was the perfect steward. And we remember that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, while he was in in excruciating pain, he didn't blame others. And in, instead, he prayed. He prayed for his enemies. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And we see a huge contrast between Adam and Jesus Christ here. Adam accepted woman with joy. When trouble arrived, he turned and complained about her. Jesus had the right to complain about the people because he was totally innocent. But Jesus did not complain. Instead, he prayed. He found the strength by saying, not by my will, but your will. 
When Adam faced the trouble, Adam didn't care about his wife. But when Jesus faced tribulations, he endured all the sufferings for his bride, the church. Beloved brothers and sisters, this is the true image of God. This is true responsibility as God's steward. During his earthly ministry, Jesus always asked for Father's will, not his will. Jesus Christ, our chief priest, although he was given of all the powers of the heaven and earth, he humbled himself even to the point of death. We also need to remember that all things were created through Jesus Christ in the beginning. And Belgian Confession Article 10 teaches us as follows. God made all, God made the world by His Son. Likewise, the God, that God created all things by Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore if someone says that, that our sin is from the creation, that it also means that Jesus Christ is the source of the sin because God created the world through Jesus Christ. There are only two options. Whether the sin is from the Creator or it came from somewhere else. And that leads to the second point. Our sin and misery are from our first parents. Catechism teaches us that man's depraved nature is from fall and disobedience of our first parents. Notice the word man's depraved nature. Man's depraved nature. The world that God created in the first place was not sinful at all. But because of one, just one disobedience of first man and woman, their nature became so corrupt. And what did they do that made them so corrupt? But we all know the famous story of eating the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. And Catechism calls this act as act of disobedience. And some people might say it was not fair for them to have such a heavy punishment since they simply had a just tiny bite. It was just a matter of instinct, they say. They say they, were became, they became hungry so they had to eat. But this theory is nonsense since God already gave them other fruits and other plants for food. It was not a matter of instinct. It was a rather matter, matter of obedience as Catechism teaches us. The fact is that our parents' of disobedience is the cause of our misery. They wanted to be God. They were arrogant. And their arrogance led them to the destruction. And as a result, the sin had immediate effect and the result was very crucial. The trust between God and man was broken. Men and women realized their nakedness. This still has impact on us. There became barriers between relationships, various relationships. Our relationship with God became distant and more and more walls were created among People, people keep secrets from even their spouse. Other creatures received immediate impact as well. Disease was introduced, 
death came not only to us, but to all creatures. Thorns began to come out, which made man's labor more difficult. Woman had to go through labor to bring up birth. All the creatures which, was, which were under man's control received a great stress. And mankind also lost so many things just by this one disobedience. Since the, after the fall, it, was, it is very hard to find the image of God with, within us. Yet, there's a something, it's just a something little bit, tiny little bit of remnants that left in us. And John Calvin call, calls this as a gift, remnants. And it is undeniable that our image of God is totally corrupted and deeply broken by sin. Yet, the benefits as being an image of God once still remains just a tiny bit. For instance, we humans are far more intelligent than monkeys and dolphins. We do things that monkeys are not capable of. Mankind expanded their wings over various areas of studies such as science, physics, law, literature, art, or music. With this tiny remnants of the gift, mankind has established phenomenal things. Yet, Man's total depravity blocks himself from glorifying God. This remnant is really brilliant, but it became nothing more than a memory or evidence that man was once created in God's image. Nothing more. If we could establish this much with this with the little bit of the remnants. Imagine how much more we, can, we could have established if our first parents simply obeyed. And all these gifts will testify against us not for, for not recognizing God as our creator. The remnants will accuse us for not being a good image bearer of God. And some people may think that it is way too cruel to take away all those excellent gifts just by one disobedience. So there are some people feel furious about God for not doing anything about this. They said, come on, God could, could have stopped the fall with his infinite knowledge even before. But beloved ones, don't be tricked by this kind of argument. Our catechism answers this question wisely in Lord's Day 4. It says, but man, at the instigation of the devil... Deliberate, dis- in deliberate disobedience robbed himself and his descendants of these gifts. And remember that God created us good. He created us in his image. And again, it was our first parents' deliberate decision to fall. John Calvin gives a really good illustration to help us to understand this matter. Imagine that there is a dead cow lying on that field, and there's a sun shining over the dead cow. And you smell something rotting here. And it would be ridiculous to blame the sun for the unpleasant smell because the sun is indispensable for life. If only the cow were still alive, the cow would be 
probably would be uh, able to enjoy the beautiful weather or even photosynthesize. The sun was there even before the cow was born. The smell is not really from the sun. It is from the body. It is the same with God. Just like you don't blame the sun for the unpleasant smell, you don't blame God for our sin and misery. And we should not forget God's faithfulness of covenant. He's been there from eternity. He was and still is providing us with all things that we need. God has been there even before the sun. And it's not fair to ask, how come God didn't stop our first parents from eating the fruit? God already was gracious with us. The problem lies on our side, not God. And this leads to the final point. Our sin and misery are very severe. Our catechism asks another question. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to do all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. We are so corrupt that we are not, to, to, we are not able to do any good, Catechism says. We are useless. Our sinful state is so serious, there is nothing good within us. We are not able to do any good unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Notice the word Spirit of God, not Spirit of man. Our catechism has heavy emphasis on man's total depravity. Our sin is so great that unless God intervenes, there's no hope. We are so hopeless that we cannot fix anything. We need new birth. We are so messed up. We, we see this doctrine in the Gospel of John. It is well described in the Gospel of John, John 3. There's a famous um, conversation be, between Jesus Christ and Nicodemus. We find amazing truth revealed by John chapter 3. Jesus said, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Jesus adds, You must be born again. Nicodemus asks asks a question, how can these things be? How can we can ask a similar question? How can a man be regenerated? Jesus answered in verse 13, No one has ascended to heaven, but who he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And Jesus continues in verse 14, John 3, verse 14. He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. How do we get regenerated? The regeneration is possible only through the Son of Man, who is our chief priest, who sacrificed himself in our place. He must be lifted up. Through his one sacrifice, Jesus, Jesus is bringing us to home by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we get regenerated. And brothers and sisters, remember that is our sin and misery began because, because Adam didn't listen in the first place. And now, 
after the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, after coming of the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit is calling us to obedience. And I would like to conclude this sermon with the Christ's command, which is repeated through the, throughout the seven churches in Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. He said, Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to churches. Amen.